Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Commons Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. X-Men 5, February 1992, December 17th, 1991. That's cover date and on sale date. Cover price was $1.25. Comics getting expensive. Ooh, this title, The Blowback. Yeah, and on the cover, it proudly proclaims, at the hands of Omega Red. What's a blowback? I had a, uh, uh, blowback. So, like, if you do something and a negative thing happens because of it, that could be considered blowback. Like, you'll hear political blowback all the time. So, what is the something that is done that is blown back in this issue? I don't know. If I make a controversial decision and I get negative ramifications, that could be considered blowback. So we learn about Wolverine having done something, but we don't really learn about what it is until the next issue. The next issue is the one that should have been called Blowback. How? So this cover... Is busy. Is very busy. The one thing I am just noticing is Wolverine's like uh, wrist skin has been removed, and you actually see like the uh, his uh, claw mechanisms... Yeah. That's kind of neat, but also kind of dumb. Yeah. It's, (laughs) I don't know. It looks like Wolverine's a toy. Actually, you know what? And then he's got his foreheads kind of ripped back, so you see some of his... So they're definitely going for like a Terminator 2 thing here. The same thing, uh, Omega Red has a weird patch of bald spot. Yep. Uh, And I don't know if that's supposed to be torn away or if that's just, like, that doesn't, it doesn't match his head at all. So not really sure what's going on there. What was the on sale date of this thing? December seventeenth, nineteen ninety one. Okay, so Terminator nineteen ninety one. So there, this is this is absolutely in the wake of Terminator two, which came out in nineteen ninety one. Probably it was a summer film. So everybody was on that bandwagon of showing ripped away flesh with robotics or something behind it. Probably. That's what I'm going with. Um, not my f- favorite cover. I mean, it's very Jim Lee. It's just two people fighting. We got Wolverine and Omega Red. Wolverine's other hand looks like it's Omega Red's hand. Yeah. But then I guess if you follow Omega Red's hand, it's actually behind Wolverine. Uh, Omega Red's tentacles are behind are, are uh, in over Wolverine's neck. Which, if we understand anything about Omega Red's power, is that pretty much means that Wolverine's lost. Yeah. Doesn't he drain life force with those things? I don't know. (laughs) I'll be honest. Uh, I know that Omega Red was supposed to be the new, cool, 90s bad guy. Um, I never knew what his power sets were, other than he's got tentacles. Well, he's supposed to be the opposite of Wolverine, so he's got a... No. Instead of a healing factor, he's got a death factor. Oh. So I think, and I don't know, I'm with you, I don't actually know, <laughs> but my guess is that he his tentacles uh, drain life forces and he needs that to, sub- to s- sustain himself. There's all this talk about a carbonadium something or other that he, I think he needs... And I think he'll have in later issues, spoilers. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's still around to today, so he's got some lasting power. Yeah, sure, if you say so. I think enough people read these issues that they were like, well, we should keep these characters around at the very least. 
So, yeah, uh, the proportions of the character's arms and stuff are, I don't know, kind of a little out of whack in my opinion. But uh, eh, they're whatever. Fine. They're muscly men. Yeah. So we open up this book. It is plotted and penciled by Jim Lee. It is scripted by John Byrne, Scott Williams, Art Thiebert, Bob Wiasek, and Joe Rubenstein are doing the inks. Interesting. I guess I didn't catch that earlier. Yeah, I didn't. I don't actually think I can tell where they where one stops and the other starts. Well, keep our eyes open. I, I, I am with you. I don't know that we'll, I will be able to discern. And I certainly wouldn't know who. Well, I might be able to pick Scott Williams out. I guess we'll have to see as we go through. Let's assume that it's in that order because otherwise I got no idea. Yeah. Tom and Lois, probably uh, Orzakowski. That would be my guess. I didn't realize they were a lettering pair, but they're lettering. <laughs> uh, Joe Rosas is doing the coloring. Bob Harris is editing. And Tom DeFalco is the chiefing guy. How does lettering work if it's two people? Do they just like, hey, I'm I'm sick of this issue. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe one's really strong on vowels and the other one's really strong on consonants, and they just alternate back and forth. So so one does like all the all the consonants and yeah. then hands it off, <laughs> and then they get in fights. Like you didn't leave me enough space for my a, so now my a <laughs> looks stupid. I like it. Yeah. So. There's a cerebro scan. What what is a uh, this first panel? What is it? Uh, well, <laughs> because it's a, it's it, supposed to be that that room in the X Men movies where the Professor X couches his cerebro on the edge of a precipice in the giant room. It really, it's supposed to be that. Because um, there's no establishing shot. I, I'll be honest. Like as I'm looking at this first page, I think we're on the bridge of a battleship. <laughs> Yeah, it's not this whole uh, it's like did Jim Lee forget to do the first page? This is a this is a very weird first page. Yes. Cuz like the second you turn this page it's nonstop action. Yeah. So I guess this is supposed to be a setting, a peaceful little setting, I guess. And uh it doesn't do a good job. I mean, we know it's Cerebro because the very next panel says perimeter alert Cerebro grand unidentified mutant. So Okay, and it even but, says in the next panel, the mutant sensing computer called Cerebro has performed the function for which it is designed. So zooming in, uh, why Cerebro zooms in on its own, who knows? <laughs> we got signature identified Wolverine, Beast, Jubilee, Rogue, Gambit, and then unidentified mutant, which I would suppose would be the whole idea that Cerebro would go on because of the unidentified mutant. Adam, do you remember the first um depictions of cerebro when it was you mean cyberno well cyberno was the second one of those like five six or sevens they accidentally called it cyberno probably because jim lee or not jim lee uh uh, stanley just couldn't keep track of when he was calling everything that is my recollection is that cerebro was the day one name of it and then somewhere along the line they threw cyberno in there okay i thought it was cyberno first and then they were like boy that's a stupid name that could have also been a lettering issue, too. And we could blame the letterer for that, where he's just looking at the script. He's like, I don't know, Cyberno is what it says. Somebody handed off the, the lettering to somebody else, yeah. and somebody didn't know what to do. I'm just going to throw a Y in here. Yeah. Well, Cyber, Cyberno, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Cerebro used to be just a few names on a desk with a little light bulb next to it. And when that yeah. mutant showed up, it, that light illuminated. And now we've got quadrants and grids and and honestly it didn't make any sense because it was 
cards that well, right. <laughs> already had names on them. Like you couldn't have an unidentified mutant because, uh, you know, there yeah. wasn't that card. Yeah, the professor didn't program an unidentified card. It was like we programmed in the mutants that we know are already out there. So now we get uh, Forge running to go check on Cerebro. This, to me, this page does not look like it was inked by Scott Williams, except for maybe the Cyclops at the bottom, which I want to talk about here in a moment. It's a little bit thinner than Scott mm-hmm. Williams. Yeah. Uh, inking-wise, so I guess I tend to agree with you. Um and here we go. The action starts. Forge, there's an alarm. He's running down the hallway. He's got to sit down. Cybernos covered something. Uh, then Cyclops runs up. What's going on, Forge? Uh, and then uh, Colossus is there. So what's all that noise? And Psy- Psylocke is there, and she's in a bikini for some reason. Well, she was swimming. She was doing laps. She was swimming, and that bloody klaxon knock- nearly knocked her out of the pool, and Cyclops admonishes her. No time for joking around, Psylocke. Didn't you see, see how how serious this action scene is and just to show how serious it is he points at us <laughs> yeah so the couple of things i like how forge is running down the hall uh seemingly jumps into the cockpit of cerebro and it looks like he's driving a motorcycle now like he looks like he's in motion he's got his teeth are all gritted he's got throttles that he's pulling and talking about star wars vibe he's like on the uh on the millennium falcon gunner ship yeah exactly and i feel like if you were analyzing the output of a computer you'd, you'd sit down at a chair you'd, you'd type on your keyboard and you'd be like right there there's some anomalies not like oh my god it's like i'm going 50 miles an hour in my cerebro now one thing i want to say about this cyclops pointing at us it's a really good shot it's unnecessary yeah. but uh it's well it's dynamic so he's you know you're trying to create action through imagery. So everybody's got to have dynamic posing. And it's very dynamic. It's very like the proportions uh, are, are great. Like the hand is probably one of the best hands I've, I've seen in comic books. Um, and this is the one that looks more inked by Scott Williams to me. It looks very classic Jim Lee. And the, the, the finger, the, the most exposed finger and the thumb are kind of kind of cr- cr- uh, wanky. Mm. Like if you zoom in, that finger goes on a little bit too long, and the thumb looks a little little forced perspective there. There's a lot of forced perspective happening here, and I know what you're saying. And as as I, I certainly would not be able to draw anything like this, and we've seen other artists attempt to do these perspective shots uh, and get it completely wrong. This is probably one of the best ones. Now, yeah, no, I'm you know, despite my criticisms. You don't notice that stuff unless you're actually analyzing it. So it does its intended purpose. Once you start analyzing his arm, things can go off the rails. But just because of the dynamic dynamics of this pose, I I am willing to just completely overlook like what's happening with that arm. It looks pretty blobby, but uh, it's good. I like it. It continues the thread of what's going on here, which is to lead us into the direction of the next couple of panels and continue this kind of action. Uh, the the gist of this page is that Wolverine and Gambit and Rogue and whoever were attacked by unknown forces and they need to get out there and rescue them right away. So they immediately cut to the Blackbird double time. The Blackbird takes off. Sonic dampers mute the thunder of the jet engines, which later we will unmute because we want to scare the enemy. Little details that 
John Byrne is seems like he's enjoying. Yes. There's a lot of details to things that are kind of unnecessary, and some of them work and some of them don't. Uh, you think he's just trying to throw some logic around what's happening on the page. Yeah. And, and sometimes it works. And he even yeah. he does a lot of stuff where he tries to force uh, kind of everybody's backstory yeah. into it, where he's like, well, these people have a connection, so I'm going to bring up their connection. And that's like kind of weird. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, yeah. So d- uh, down the road. So it took me a minute to remember what actually happened in the last issue. There was an explosion and uh, uh, Rogue and Gambit were on a date and etc. So they, they've all been captured, hauled into some vans. And you've got some some people here. This guy with like a red cloak and a gun. I don't think the red cloaks. Is that what they are? The red cloaks. I don't know. <laughs> let's go. Let's go with that. They're the hand, right? Yes, they're they're hand goons, and they get out of it because Gambit had an ace up his sleeve, a literal ace up his sleeve, and he was able to kinetically charge it and free them all. Which he throws it and blows the two guards out the back. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that saves anybody. Oh, but you know, whatever. We'll say that it's close enough to Rogue that it destroys Rogue's thing, and Rogue frees everybody. Yeah, and the thing is, is Rogue unconscious? Is she power dampened because she's super strong? There's not... I gotta assume everybody's power dampened. Well, not Gambit because he just charged up a card and blew everybody out the back. Well, right, but how do you? I don't know. Yeah, how do you restrain Rogue? It, it doesn't. Maybe maybe he powered that card up before he was power dampened and he's just been holding on to it for the right moment i know that doesn't seem like i don't know it doesn't make any sense you're not supposed to think about it because it's action well and then jubilee's right there i mean she could be like throwing her little light show all over the place blinding them and beast is strong and rogue is strong and they could be pulling whatever anyways they escape it doesn't (laughs) matter like you said it doesn't matter uh, we get a nice little moment where Jubilee opens up the uh, window leading to the driver and is like, hey there. And uh, Beast flies through and then they take out the two drivers of the truck. Jubilee's like, I can't drive this thing. I don't even have a learner's permit. Just keep the truck running straight, Jubilee, says Rogue as she takes off through the top of the uh, ambulance heading towards the next one. I'm going to check out our twin up ahead. I'm willing to bet that's where they got Wolverine, but it's not. It's, it's not. It's said it's got two people, two more hand agents with a rocket launchers. It looks like, and they shoot Rogue and she's like, "Ow, oh, my best dress!" And uh, the other ambulance, because Jubilee can't hold the wheel, scoots out to the side. Yeah, Beast. Turns it at a, to a 90-degree angle, and Jubilee thinks, like, well, that's great. Now we've lost them. But it turns out that the Blackbird shows up, and... Uh, that's when we get the sonic dampers are off. Right. The scream of the jet presses against the, freeing van, the fleeing van as a physical force, which is a cool thing. Um, I feel like you need a sound effect for that. Like a whoosh or something. But I yeah. wonder if... So, obviously, Marvel method, Jim Lee's drawing all this stuff. He's plotted it all out. He shared those notes with John Byrne. John Byrne gets to this panel. Do you think he just embellishes and says, yeah? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I think I think the whole reason that he put the sonic dampeners are on earlier was so that he could have them turn off now. And I don't think Jim Lee had anything to do with that. Well, I think... Because the, then there would be a sound effect if there was. Yeah, that's true. I think, though, that the... 
sound dampeners make sense, right? Because they're, they're sending a vertical takeoff and landing airplane in and out of Westchester County, which would draw a lot of attention. So that makes a lot of sense to be like, yep, nobody can hear it when it takes off because of this plot device. It's a cool idea. And if you don't read the uh, little captions, you'd miss it. Yeah. And you don't have the whoosh sound effect here. And you don't really have any indication that uh, a force of nature has hit that ambulance. Uh, but again, it doesn't matter. Cyclops and Colossus, they jump out of the airplane in another very dynamic pose. And... Which does look like Scott Williams to me. Yes. At least the Colossus does. Yes. These are also, just, just, just to point it out, these issues here, I think part of the price increase is because they changed paper. Somewhere around here, and because they changed paper, they were able to get more color on these pages because these are not like flat colors. There's a lot of like blues and and blacks and whites and whatnot in Colossus's design. Yeah, I think I remember the inking kind of changing dramatically with this type of stuff. I noticed it more in like Ghost Rider, but it's true here too. Right, they did everything that they could do with that old newsprint, and then they switched over to a new type of paper, and then the prices went up. Yeah, which, you know, as a as a reader, I think you noticed and you were like, oh, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, this is better quality. So I'm willing to pay the extra 50 cents. It, well, or whatever it was, 25 cents. It was a slow, right? Seventy five, a dollar, dollar. Of course, I think Wolverine at this time was a dollar seventy five. Then I think you're just paying a premium for the character. Yeah, they were all over the place with prices. So I think Ghost Rider and Deathlock were also a little bit more expensive. Yeah, and maybe maybe even Spider Man. Probably one of those Spider titles, at least the McFarlane one. Yeah. So Colossus lands in the back of one of the trucks. Cyclops lands on one of the hoods, and Cyclops just blasts a guy through a windshield at point blank with his optic beams, which I gotta be honest, feels a little out of character for Cyclops. Uh, you know, that's, you gotta do, you gotta do what you gotta do to keep the action scene going. Oh, well, yes. Granted. Um, I like that Psylocke, who is the pilot of the Blackbird, is still in a bikini. Um, she's got a jacket on. She's got a little leather jacket. But yes, otherwise she's just Yeah, she threw, she threw on a jacket. Um, I didn't really care for her being in a bikini in the first place. Well, it's a ridiculous, it's like, we didn't even really talk about it. It's the most ridiculous string bikini you've ever seen. Yeah. But I, but I like that they're at least keeping it. Yeah. Like, it's consistent. She didn't take time to Change. dress up in her outfit. Yeah. I don't know. Just obviously it's 90s. It's it's sexy time. But from a logical standpoint, if she's doing laps in the pool, she's probably right. wearing like a Speedo one piece. Ugh. And other than that first shot, they're not really milking it for. Not really. You're right. Like, uh, you know, cheesecake shots. Yeah. Yeah. You just get the one and then the rest of it's actually pretty, uh, pretty restrained. So yeah. so good on Jim Lee for that, I guess. Scott, Peter, get out of there. Get out of there. Yeah, Psylocke has what she says, a precognitive flash, which is not a power ability we've ever seen her demonstrate. And again, I wonder well, if it's... you know, it's it's just a, uh, you know, she's got tele tele telepathy, so you could have precognitive flashes. That means telepathy. That, Why not? That means you could see the future. I think she's getting a flash of the guys in the truck... Knowing that the truck is about to explode. I would agree with that. That's exactly what I was just going to say. And I don't know that I would describe that as a precognitive flash because that infers some ability to see the future. Um, and so, again, I'm wondering if that's John Byrne just kind of embellishing what he sees on the panel. Whereas the I feel like the original intention is like, yeah, these guys are like 
this thing's about to blow up. And yeah. Psylocke catches that from all of the bad guys, so she knows that it's a real threat. I don't mind it. That's that's what precognitive flash means to me. It's no. probably not it's probably not accurate, but it's comics, so I'm like I know what they mean. No, it's 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 putting a new power ability on top of Well, her. later there's a scene that was cut where uh Cy- Cyclops is like, "So, uh precognitive flash? I don't I don't think that's what that was. I mean, we need to come up with a better term for that. <laughs> next time you next time you gather what people are thinking, let's call it a uh, <laughs> uh a mind scan. I don't yeah, know. A psychic flash, something. <laughs> psychic flash would have been good. A psychic flash. Scott Peter, get out of there. Anyways, that I guess that's my nitpick of the issue. <laughs> what, Psylocke? Says Colossus, and uh, the sh- the uh, the guy runs for a self-destruct button, it looks like, and the ambulance blows up. Cyclops is thro- thrown free, and they're like, oh my god, Colossus, he's dead. Could he be dead? No, he can't be dead. He's fine. There's no way this blast could have hurt him, says Beast. Just no way. Come on, you big, dumb Russian. <laughs> Which is, that's not very nice. I know, but it's fun. <laughs> Big dumb Russian. It's it's very action movie, so Burns just rolling with what he's given. I guess. Cycl- or Colossus is fine, right? Because he's, he's steel and he's not going to be burnt by some fire. Uh, and he says, uh, I have found something, and it's a piece of uh, Wolverine's original costume, or orange and brown costume. Hmm, says Cyclops. He didn't have it on when he left the mansion. Did he have his uniform with him, or is this some kind of red herring to lead us in the wrong direction? Let's head back to the mansion, troops. We need Professor X. I'm not sure why, but probably to use Cerebro, I guess? Yeah, I don't know why either. Determine where Wolverine actually is? Now, last issue, as I recall, Wolverine started the issue in his orange and black costume, and then towards the end of it ended up in his yellow and black costume. Is that right? I think so. I can't remember if we ever saw the orange and whatever, <laughs> orange and black versus the yellow and blue. Uh, um, yeah. I, 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 we definitely saw the yellow and, and blue. I, don't, I can't remember if the orange and black even made an appearance. I thought it did at the beginning of the issue, but I mean, maybe could just go back. We do have the awesome abilities of Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> For Cyclops to say he wasn't le- wearing his costume when he left feels a little. Uh, well, a- Cyclops is, you know, he's always on the ball and he made sure as they were loading up the uh, loading up the Blackbird and he was watching the tapes. So he saw Wolverine leave the mansion and he was like oh interesting he's not wearing his costume well maybe he maybe he has it with him yeah i but we've seen time and time again that uh our our superhero mutants usually have their costumes on under their regular clothes oh that's that was what cyclops saw was that there's no way wolverine could have his costume underneath that what he's wearing oh my gosh yeah yeah So meanwhile, we are. Or maybe in... he checked his bedroom and he was like, "Oh, his costume's there. He must <laughs> not have it on him." That could be. Uh, Omega Red and Wolverine are fighting in the snow, and the biggest takeaway I get from here is that I guess that they've been fighting for like seventeen hours. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm skipping a whole page. They're they're fighting and blah blah blah, whatever. The biggest takeaway I get is that they know each other, which is, I think, what we learned last issue. Yeah, so he says not... something like, "Arcady, it's you. What are you doing here?" And he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you up," <laughs> or something like that. 
You're as fast as you ever were, Arcady. Yeah. But I've learned a few tricks since last we've uh, since last time. And somebody's watching. There's a couple people in a big room watching. They've got awesome cameras zoomed in on Wolverine. His face. I, yeah. I guess maybe Omega Red's wearing a body cam. That would make sense. Uh, we definitely see that Wolverine is caught on camera, though. Yeah. So that that whole thing is completely gone at this point. If we've ever if we've ever doubted it was gone. It's definitely gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I, even I forgot about that. But, um, yeah, we're done with that storyline. It, it wore <laughs> off. We'll keep pointing it out forever. <laughs> it, would, it would really be nice if Roma showed up one day and she's like, yeah, yeah, I did. It, it wore off after a year. I didn't tell yeah, him that. <laughs> sorry, guys. Like, even in, like, the – like, it, it would be funny if at some point, like, even a Marvel age, like, little middle – you know, they had, they had like, the old – um Don Hacker or whoever, uh, Fred Hembeck, whoever wrote like the the middle comic, if they just had like a quick blurb in there and they addressed it and then moved on. I think it came back after Genosha. That's going to be my theory is that whatever whatever the Genoshans did with all the people they captured, they removed that ability. Yeah, but I don't think folks like Dazzler were there and... Well, as far as we know, Dazzler's still well. That's Dazzler, true. Dazzler still can't be seen. That's that's. Uh, but I we don't know that. I mean, we'll like, we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye out. I feel like in that X Men issue where they brought Dazzler back, she was promoting her movie, and she met Guido, and there was some cameras. I think we already addressed that. Yeah, and, I suppose if yeah. she shot a movie, she had to be on the camera. Well, it was still the Dazzler movie from like way back oh, when that, that back. somebody had like... Did she um, do any TV interviews? Did she do any press? I feel like there was some press and we saw it on the pages. But again, I'm not going back to look. Yeah, it would be very confusing for an interviewer to be like, why aren't you showing up on camera? <laughs> yeah. All right. The point is uh, the, the person, the, the people that are watching this fight is uh, we got Dr. Cornelius from the Weapon X thing. I think we established that he was their last issue. Hang on. Oh, did we? Yeah. Okay, because when we flip to this panel, I'm like, this is somebody, and I can't remember who. It's not for a while that they say Dr. Cornelius. He was in the last issue. Okay. As as I think everybody were, because yeah. I'm pretty sure Fenris was there. This is Fenris, right? This is Fenris. I would the have Stuckers, liked, or Struckers. I would have liked it if uh, that Matsuo guy would have been like, Cornelius, what's happening up there? And I'd been like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. <laughs> yeah. But... Anyways, they don't. Uh, but yeah, this is where Cornelius says, hmm, 17 hours, 53 minutes, and an odd number of seconds. I guess it doesn't really matter. So they've just been fighting for nearly a day. And I guess it's some sort of exercise. Because half of them are like, just let Wolverine die. And I think it's Cornelius who's like, nah, we should probably not have Wolverine actually die. I don't want to see Wolverine killed before and then uh, everybody's like, well, why? But it it turns out that they actually need something from Wolverine. So really nobody wants to see Wolverine killed. They literally need something, some information that he has. Wasn't Dr. Cornelius sympathetic to Wolverine in the Weapon X story? A little bit. He seems a little bit sympathetic to him in this too. Hmm. I guess maybe we'll find out why he's involved in this whole thing. Probably money. Who knows? I mean, you only get so many jobs as a as a former Weapon X doctor. Yeah, so I suppose who knows? it's true. So, yeah, Wolverine is losing this fight. He eventually passes out well, uh, and remembers. Well, he passes out into a bit of a flashback. We get... Uh, we get some flashback that connects over with what we're seeing in recent issues of Wolverine. 
where he's a special ops guy. 30 years ago in Berlin, he must be with Arcady, this guy here with the helmet, or I guess... No, it, that's, that's Sabretooth. Is it Sabretooth? Okay. That's Creed. They do ask somewhere in here of like, any sign of Creed? Not yet. Well, that that is the present. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Immediately, we get three panels of the flashback, and we immediately cut back to the present where Wolverine's being dragged uh, by... I don't know. Some I can't really tell what's going on. A bunch of troopers, the a bunch of Iron Men. Sure, looks like they got the Iron Man colors. Have a bunch of tentacles. Mm-hmm. And they're just pulling Wolverine around. Um, that should render him harmless. Do not be too certain of that. Wolverine is a dangerous foe. We see somebody outside of the complex, and spoilers: it's Maverick. I think this is the first appearance of Maverick. Or maybe Wolverine was. I don't know. Oh, this is where he says, confirm target. They have Logan Major. No sign of Creed. Stay with them. Update me again in 60 minutes. Yeah, which, they- if you know who Creed is, which I don't know if we do yet, uh, we, that means that Sabretooth is going to be here. I feel uh, like if you're... Spoilers, I think he's on the cover of the next issue. If you're exclusively reading X-Men, I don't think you know who Creed is. We yeah. may have heard the Creed name in the pages of Wolverine already. I don't think they said who it was, though, but it was probably more evident. Yeah. Like, oh, that's obviously Sabretooth. Right. That that person that they're calling Creed looks just like Sabretooth. Now, Maverick is a name I recognize, but I don't remember anything that he does. <laughs> and they don't introduce him in this issue as Maverick at all. In fact, you know, he does uh, his a- name is, is somewhere in there. Is it? Um it's uh at some point he says Maverick to base. Oh, okay. Which, you know, I don't know when that. I'll point it out when it shows up. Sure. If I can. Update me again in sixty minutes. Says somebody on the other line. A face, the lower half of a face. That I don't know if we'll get to ever see who this is. So then we are in some sort of a chamber with all of Omega Red, Fenris, Matsuo, Cornelius, and Wolverine has been tied up to a bunch of tubes on every one of his appendages, his arms, his legs. It's being sprawled out. Which is, you know, if you're going to hold Wolverine, this is the way to do it. But I feel like this is more of a reference to that time that Wolverine was hung up in the Australian Outback. Yeah, maybe. Like it is, a, it's an Sort axe. of a callback. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's uh, the Carbonadium Synthesizer. Yeah. The Dr. Cornelius says the Carbonadium Synthesizer, the prize you seek with such urgency, is not something which will reveal itself without a considerable degree of coaxing. So the whole point is that Wolverine knows where this carbonadium synthesizer is mm. from 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. He did something with it and that Fenris really wants it. And I think Omega Red also, I think Omega, it was Omega Red's previously. I think he used it to live or something. Mr. Fenris here, he says, we seek a prize greater than you could guess, Herr Doctor. Immortality for ourselves and a new Reich. So I'm guessing that this carbonadium synthesizer has the ability to do something yeah, for them know. from a life standpoint. Whatever. It's fine. Uh, Lady Fenris has a boob window, which is in the shape of a triangle. Yep. Which is, uh, I don't know, it's very 90s. Miss Mrs. Fenris, uh, I think, is always drawn very uh, uh, seductively, very similar to uh, White Queen, whether she's wearing a bikini or a revealing costume. So this is par for the course here. <laughs> we cut back to the mansion. Where oh, we my got gosh. This gold team, the blue team. This panel is out of control. It's a two-page spread, and you've got 
This does not look like Scott Williams. No. This, this, I'd say this is Art T-Bear. Could be. I'm going to guess. Sure. I'm going to put my, put my credibility on the line. Not that anyone's ever going to check about it. Unless Art T-Bear is listening to this. If you're listening, Art T-Bear, hey, uh, am I right? (laughs) I think, uh, almost everybody, if not everybody, is present and accounted for here. I can't see anybody that we're missing. Well, obviously not Wolverine. Well, obviously not Wolverine. Uh, Forge has a mug that has an X on it, which is awesome. Yeah, I want one. Uh, I want an X brand mug. I have a, a T-shirt that's got that black and red X on it, and then it's yeah. like a gray background, and that's all it is. And wherever I wear it, people are like, is that a Deadpool thing? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tangentially, maybe. Jerks. I guess after a while it became one. Uh, but the whole point here is that the... The gold team has got a meeting with Emma Frost, and I think there's a tie-in here with X-Men number 281, or at least that's what the uh, little narration bubble there tells me. The blue team is going to go after uh, Wolverine to figure out what's happening there. Uh, Apparently, whatever is going around with Emma Frost is important enough that they can't deviate the gold team to go after Wolverine with the blue team. uh, Forge is proposing that that you know cerebro professor and gene could maybe use their telepathics uh, in combination to scan the globe and beast is like no 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 we don't want to tax our telepaths i have already determined the flight plan of the mystery plane by the simple expedient of using our computers to invade the airport tower flight recorders basically they hacked the airport and somebody does actually point out, like Cyclops here says, if it's even true. So I don't know why they wouldn't take the 15 minutes to combine their <laughs> telepathic powers uh, to, to figure this thing out, but they don't. Um, Gene and Storm are are clearly getting ready for their Hellfire Club meeting because they're very sexily dressed. They've got fancy dresses on. Bobby and uh, mm-hmm. Angel also have fancy suits on, as does Colossus. Um as, and maybe the professor. So the, I think maybe the professor was also going to go, but he decides to stay back. Yeah. So you can clearly tell who are the gold team by their fancy clothing and who is the blue team by their uh, jackets. They've all got cool jackets. <laughs> oh, they all have leather jackets. Yep. Rogue, uh, Psylocke, uh, Cyclops. They all have those bomber jackets. That Jim Lee loves to draw. I went to Hot Topic a while ago, a long time ago, and they had one of these X-Men bomber jackets on uh, for sale. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I want I, I was like ready to buy it. But I turned it around and on the back it had like a bunch of stupid stuff on it. And I was like, no, I just want it to be the bomber jacket with like an X patch on the arm. <laughs> if it's just that, just enough for like the person to be like, hey. And not just to be like, X-Men, I would have bought it. And I told a lady that. I was like, man, that thing is so cool. I just wish it didn't have that thing on the back. And she's like, that's what makes it awesome. <sighs> she was like, okay, sir. <laughs> okay, Don't boomer. make me call security. <laughs> I wasn't being like a jerk about it. I was just, oh, she thought she were. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was digging it. She's like, that coat is awesome. <laughs> Anyways, uh. Storm has some issues with the White Queen calling for assistance, but Jean Grey points out that it wouldn't be the first time that the X-Men have walked into a trap, and Storm's like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Never mind. Right. (laughs) It's kind of a pointless conversation, but okay. Well, everybody has to, most everybody, there's a, like, when I 
turned to this page in Marvel Unlimited. I was like, good Lord, there's a lot of word balloons here. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. The, it's the, mostly Beast. We basically boil it down to what they need to do. But I feel like they just were like, well, let's throw something into the lower right-hand corner. A little useless conversation between Gene and Storm. So then we get a uh, four, eight, 12-panel um, page, which I think is yet another inker. Yeah, it doesn't feel like Scott Williams, at least, um, in which a couple of things happen. One, Jubilee's like, what about me? And they decide to take her along, even though she is uh, a youngling, as it were. <laughs> well, Cyclops is like, no, you're too young. Uh, there's too many unknowns here. But uh, the rest of the team sticks up for her and is like, hey, she she's has held her own against the hand. She might have some good inside information. Which is a good callback for Psylocke to do because yeah. she did fight alongside Jubilee. So I like that. Yep. But then like Jubilee is like, hey, thanks, Psylocke. I never expected you would have. And then Psylocke's like, save it, Jubilee. <laughs> Thank me if you come out of this alive. It's like, why are you nice and then a jerk? Yeah. This is unnecessary. It, it sort of feels like they're trying to put bygones uh, behind them. But yeah, Psylocke's like, no. But this again, this could also just be John Byrne throwing a little drama in there for no reason. Probably, but it kind of uh, doesn't work. It works as a nice moment, which is a callback. And then all of a sudden, not a nice moment because yeah. what, what is Psylocke doing? Uh, Banshee is going after Moira and there's a weird moment where he's like, I know you and Moira, Professor. And uh, the professor's like, yeah, all done and behind long ago. Me and Moira were not a thing anymore. It's like, wouldn't they have had this conversation a long time ago? I don't know. I think it's just... But again, it's John Bird. He's just throwing some stuff, stuff in there. Um, again, I, we've talked about this. I cannot recall how and when Banshee lost his voice again. Because he's speaking to the professor telepathically because he can't speak. It Wasn't it in the one through three? Issues one through three? I like don't... He got hit in the voice box by Magneto or something? I don't know. Oh, maybe... But yeah, he, so he, that's what he's doing. Uh, Gene and and Cyclops they say goodbyes, uh, and Gene's There's like, "There's a lot of things we have to talk about." Yeah, Mister Summers, like our future. Yeah, and then they're all gone, I guess. And the psych professor is looking through a top secret document, which I don't know what this is about. Project Xavier, nineteen sixty four, classified. I don't know. Maybe maybe Ancient Duncan's making a return. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that this ever gets, at least not in the stuff that I've read. Uh, spoilers, like ten issues from now, I stopped reading the X Men. Oh, yeah. Approximately, I don't know how many, but yeah, it's somewhere around there. So maybe this is leading up to Extinction Agenda, or no? What is it? <laughs> oh, Executioner's Song. Maybe I was I was out before Executioner's Song. So I don't I don't know. I read Executioner's Song and don't remember it because it was, from my re recollection, and I've said this before, it was pretty terrible. I have the trade paperback, so. I'm looking forward to it because, like, maybe it'll make more sense now. Hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. Uh, so Ford shows up and is like, hey, let's play, play some chess while we're waiting. Yeah. Which is like, okay, we're establishing a new thing. Maybe they'll keep playing chess all the time. Uh, you still owe me a rematch from our last chess game, and it continues on to the next page. This is the thing that John Byrne loves to do, kind of like the movie where like the the uh, scene cuts, but the voice carries on from the previous scene. And he says, I have a hunch you won't be able to beat me this time. And I wonder what that means. Like, has he programmed in some psychic dampeners? Uh, can he do mind reading? Like, 
What does that mean? <laughs> we will never find out. I'm <laughs> suspecting. Uh, were, were the professor and Forge playing chess last issue? I thought they had played chess previously and were following up on something, but maybe I not. Don't remember. Maybe because I, I like it. I, I think it'd be cool if like it's if this ever happens again. Sure. No, it's 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 good. It's fine. So now they're uh, back at uh, the bad guy lair, and they're uh, they've got Wolverine strung up on that same device, but now he's. Um, horizontal as they move him from one place to the next place. Wolverine's out of it. He's not making any sense. What are you talking about? Don't I know you? Mm-hmm. What the, are you talking? Apparently he got drugged so that he, he can't react. Dr. Cornelius' drugs are wearing off, aren't they? You were supposed to... You were spo- uh, slipping back into the sweet oblivion your master's created for you so like, and yet so very unlike the oblivion in which... I've dwelt these past decades. Okay. I guess that's important to know. <laughs> and there's where we get uh, behind a grate. We see Maverick to Central. This is going sour fast. Major Logan doesn't know what the F is going on. I'm going to remix this little party a bit and the lights go off. And Wolverine, I guess, takes advantage of it, is able to cut himself free, which I got confused about. Like, is he playing possum, just waiting for an opportunity? Uh, or, or I don't know. Because it, it may be in the darkness. The There's a Chirac noise and some some little glints of maybe maybe Maverick is shooting him free or something. Oh, that could be. Yeah, maybe he's got some night vision goggles. Omega, I think the prisoner's snick snicked. Lost. Gneha. There's uh, some blood splatter, so Wolverine kills some dudes. Yellow blood splatter, so are they actually blood splatters? (laughs) Well, they're not urine splatters. (laughs) Look, how do you know? (laughs) Uh, Okay, Major, lights are going back on. Now! And we see Wolverine's free. He's cut up some people. He's got an urn. Got the stuff. Got the stuff. But, all right, everybody, just back off. This is where I was like, what is happening right now? Yeah, it's kind of unclear what the stuff is. Wolverine's Um, got red eyes. And as far as we know, and I guess maybe we'll learn as we go through these issues, like, he's not in... We don't know that he's in cahoots with Maverick. We don't know that he was setting this up to get whatever the stuff is. So i'm gonna go with he's still in the middle of a flashback in his oh. mind so he's half and half so i think the stuff is from 30 years ago so this is the when in fact he's holding a jar of urine that <laughs> he splashed around just a moment ago yeah um omega red yells at him the only way is through me now surrender that canister and wolverine's like i'm not surrendering but i'm just uh i'm getting i'm out of here so he runs away with the stuff yeah, and he runs straight into a flashback. So that's what make me thinks. That's what makes me think he's kind of half and half in the world. Yeah, but in the flashback, he's not holding a canister. He's like holding a lady. So does he think this canister is is a woman that he's saving? <laughs> yes, codenamed the stuff. <laughs> okay. Yes. So yeah, they're they're running through, and I guess probably the guy in the lead must be this Maverick guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's Maverick in the lead with uh, Creed in the middle, and Wolverine's holding the lady. Right. Keep your head down, lady, and maybe the four of us will get out of here alive. Save the jawbone and Logan. Get the dame to the dead end. Looks like we went the wrong way, guys. We don't get out of here through here. 
And we cut back to the present where Wolverine essentially jumps out a window. So is this the same complex from 30 years ago? It must be. I think so, yeah. Because I think they pointed that out at some point. Okay. There has to be some way out. And Wolverine, so Omega Red shows up, is like, nowhere to go, victory's gonna be mine, and Wolverine slashes through the wall to reveal a window, and then he jumps out that window. Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that, it's unnecessary. There's a weird shot of Wolverine with a chin beard, I'm not sure what's going on there. A chin beard? Where do you see that? After he jumps out the window, we see, I will not be. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. I don't what know. is that supposed to be? Like, I've been staring at this picture, it's, trying to figure out, like, are those sideburns? It's really bad. And he's got, like, a giant unibrow. There's hair everywhere. I don't know. It's. I think it's like his, because Wolverine's mutton chops are generally pretty inconsistent as to where they start and stop. So to me... I'm going to imagine there's like one little razor mark down his chin and the hair just goes all the way to that that little mark, which is not Mm -hmm. consistent with everything else that we've seen here. Yeah. This is a really, really, I didn't even notice it before. This is a really terrible panel. I wonder if it's like a coloring snafu where... Maybe that's supposed to be wind or something and they just colored it hair color. I don't don't know. Well, even if it's like the the face kind of cuts off weird. It, you can't tell. So it looks like we've got we have an eye for sure. We have we got prob- a definite nose, probably and, a and nose a, and a mouth. Is it we, a mouth? We, maybe not. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's really hard to tell what's going on. If it is a mouth, then there is no chin, right? And and so the hair is where the chin is, which is what is creating the confusion. Is that there is no lower half of the face. Uh, and also in this panel, Wolverine would be in the middle of the air and he goes, I will not be. No, uh, unless, right. is this is this Omega Red that we're looking at? Oh, but still, it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't look like Omega Red either. It I will not. Be. I mean, if, it, if it's Omega Red, it's definitely a color. I said I was leaving and I am. I will not be. No. And then Omega Red pokes his head out and says, uh, "No, nobody. There is nobody." As if he was teleported away. I f- don't know. I think that maybe this is a miscolored Omega Red. I think you're right. I think this is Omega Red, but it's still a terrible drawing. Oh yeah, it would help if it was colored correctly. Because I think what we're seeing as his mutton chops are just kind of his long mullet hair kind of draping around his neck. Uh, and he, he seems to have way... If you look at the next panel of um, Omega Red where he says, uh, uh, there is nobody, and Matsu is in the background, he's got pretty wild eyebrows. And this yeah. guy here has really wild eyebrows. This guy here has way more wild eyebrows than Omega Red. But Well, yeah. I mean... You know, I I can't I can't fault the the colorist for this because you would yeah he's like we've already spent this? a full minute on it. <laughs> it's very confusing. If you look at any other panel here or page with Wolverine and his eyebrows, they are not as crazy out of control as these eyebrows. This is this is Omega Red miscolored. Okay, there he says there is no body, and was it not you, Omega Red Matsuo says, who so long ago conscious cautioned against cautioned your query against assumption. And uh, Omega Red grabs Matsuo and says, you dare speak to me like that? And Matsuo's like, yeah, I resurrected you. 
Yeah. So, so I guess that's resolved. Meanwhile, uh, well, Hank, got him fearless leader, not a precise, but uh, it's pretty strong. So I guess they have like a portable Cerebro unit with them. Sure. And Wolverine is laying in a bed. Looks like he's hooked up to maybe some IVs or whatever. And Maverick is there. Uh, and Maverick, this is a terrible character design. I don't like <laughs> it at all. His helmet is dumb. He's got like this this um, chin piece that looks like it would restrict his ability to move his head left and right. He's super wide. He's got tubes all over the place. Uh, the one thing I do like is his, his gun with the two uh, bullet clips. I think that's actually kind of neat. He is definitely from the page of Rob Liefeld design. This could uh, very well be one of those characters where Rob Liefeld's, you know, because he did that frequently, just drew ridiculous characters. Uh, maybe Jim Lee's like, sure, I'll use this guy, whatever. I think it's a Jim Lee original because, I mean, Jim Lee is credited as creating this character. Okay. So there's there's probably uh, sketches, but it definitely has a feel. I mean, it kind of looks like good guy strife. Yeah, kind of. I just... It's there's just too much going on. <laughs> he could work for me if he had far less gear on his body. I think in when we see him in the pages of Wolverine, he does have far less gear. It's more of a just the mask. Okay, I don't really care for the mask either. I think it looks. And dumb. I think as the years go by, he definitely has more realistic uh, bodysuit than this. But the mascot is always, I think, I don't think he's ever taken off the mask. I could be wrong about mm. that. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, you're lucky I was there to save you. Just lie there and heal. It's it's what you do best, no matter what anyone else says. So there's a little bit of a slight. Apparently the best there is at what he does is, what he does is heal. Yeah, sure. Uh, once you're fit, we're out of here. Uh, an alarm goes off and it's, I guess it's the X-Men. Guess I should have known Fenris and Matsuo wouldn't grab you without expecting trouble to come here hard on your heels. Looks like your ex-buddies have come calling. One assault squad? Can't be. Those are the Junior League, not skilled enough for a hit. And we're looking at Gambit, Psylocke, and Rogue. And I wouldn't call them the Junior League. Maybe maybe Psylocke and, and Gambit, because they're new. Right. <clears throat> but Rogue? Rogue's been around forever. Right. And she's also, like, tough as nails. Right. Super strong and vulnerable, can fly. She doesn't. She doesn't seem like she would ranks the junior league. No. Nope. Uh, oh no! There's the big kids, and the big kids are Beast, Cyclops, and Jubilee. <laughs> so well, they got that walking light show with them. Probably think they can best keep her from getting killed. So she's not one of the big kids. I think that this is uh, uh, John Byrne just putting words on a page. Probably. Yeah. Um. Too bad for them. We're out of here, Logan, and they're dead. Logan. Logan. And Logan's dead. <laughs> he's laying on the ground. It looks like he's dead. And this is the the last page of the comic uh, about Wolverine. But we cut to the actual last page of the comic where we get some Dazzler. And I, I don't know that this this could very well be <laughs> drawn, colored, and inked by an entirely different team because it is definitely different inking. It's very incongruent with the rest of the issue, but. It's Dazzler sitting around with uh, Lila Cheney, and uh, they're contemplating why is her man or why is her um, memories blank. Lila's like, "Yeah, you used to hang out with Australia. You fought some Reavers. Remember Roma? You can't be seen on screens because of her." And there was all those cute guys. You think at least I'd remember the cute guys? I like cute guys. They're watching <laughs> Star Trek, which is fun. 
Oh, yeah, there. And that's when Longshot crashes through a window and says, Allison, we got to get out of here. And she's like, who are you? Who are you? And Longshot uncharacteristically kisses her, which that's not a character for Longshot. Well, this is uh, this is Jim Lee Longshot. So welcome to the new Longshot. Or is it Longshot at all? I don't know. Uh, I remember. Not. I don't you know. You can't have forgotten this. <laughs> Spiral shows up and she's like, Longshot, I found you. You can't escape. And uh, Longshot grabs Dazzler, and I guess they teleport away. No, oh, uh, Lila, Lila Cheney uh, teleports yeah. them away. A and teleporter? Is there always a teleporter? Which, didn't we just cover that in X-Force? Probably. It doesn't matter. You haven't escaped. Poor Longshot. Haven't you realized Mojo always gets his way? And we see Mojo has replaced Star Trek on the TV somehow. Yep, to be continued. Yeah. There you go. Uh... There you go. It's been number five. Yep. Action packed. Yep. I think this is this might be John Byrne's last issue. I honestly don't recall. He yeah. He's I was doesn't last very long. Yeah, I looked at the uh next day. I'm jumping ahead and he is not gonna be in the next issue. I just wonder if it's Scott Lobdell is scripting next issue. If it's uh Jim Lee not Jim Lee, um John Byrne getting frustrated because you mentioned like Jim Lee was notoriously late on pages and so he's yeah and that Marvel the Marvel way book yep. both Chris Claremont and John Byrne complained about Jim Lee sending him pages at the last second and having to script a number of pages and I think there's even a story about how Jim uh, John Byrne is like I'm done and they had to frantically find somebody in the <laughs> office and Scott Lobdell just happened to be there and was like sure I'll do it I'll do it um I I wonder if it's partially that, or I wonder if Jim Lee had any complaints about what what John Byrne was doing on top of his pictures. Yeah, it could be. He's like, there's there's no uh, record of that, but right, could be. Like I didn't want that. <laughs> it's too much reference to the old stuff. I'm trying to cut a new path. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, I'm sort of mixed on these issues because me, I recall that as a kid. I really liked issue four, and I don't remember issue five. A lot of these newer issues, and it, it I, don't, I don't know if I chalk it up to when I was most impressionable with comics, and when I was most impressionable was earlier in Chris Claremont's run, and, and by this time I was just kind of collecting somewhat for the spectacle, right? There was a bit of a, a spectator's market, like, ooh, like a whole new generation. Is it all going to be worth a lot of money? And kind of the 90s cutting-edge cool artwork of of these artists. But when I think back to these stories, I'm like, these, these are not the stories that I remember. <laughs> I did not... I don't think I really know who Chris Claremont was at the time. I, I think certainly I, didn't either. I knew... I knew he was the guy who did X-Men 1 through 3 because they made a little bit of a fanfare about it. Right. But unlike you, I hadn't read any of those old Uncanny X-Men issues. Yeah. Well, I had read all of them, but I definitely did not make any connection that, like, Chris Claremont was an important creator, right? That, yeah. I didn't look at the—I didn't know who any of those are. I like I knew what artists or what issues looked better than the other issues, but I never—until, <laughs> you know, maybe you and I started talking more about artists and— uh, I, no, I I think I was the same way because back in the day I don't recall knowing who drew or wrote anything. Yeah, I mean, as far as I was aware, Stanley did it all because every comic said Stanley presents. I'm like, God, <laughs> this guy's busy. Yeah, I don't 
I don't think I thought it was Stan Lee, but I guess I just didn't care enough. I, I'm trying to recall if like if I knew that Larry Hamill was writing G.I. Joe, because that would that feels like mm. something that would I would at least know. But maybe not. I definitely didn't know because to me, G.I. Joe just seemed like similar to who writes a episode of G.I. Joe. Well, there is a writer. There's a bunch of writers that write those episodes of G.I. Joe. Yeah. And as a viewer of G.I. Joe, like you're not like, oh, this is an episode that's written by so and so. Yeah. You're just like, okay, they they have to do that. Those are unless you're into that sort of thing. Like I've I've actually noticed that in recent days that your favorite two part episode is written by comics legend. I think it's written by it's either Steve Gerber or Steve Englehart. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of comic um, uh, writers uh, contributed to the G.I. Joe show. I mean, obviously, Larry, Larry Hammer formed um, a lot of that lore and backstory, even if he didn't write any of those episodes. He wrote all of the file cards, and yeah. I feel like that was pretty important as far as even the cartoon kind of followed that stuff to, to a degree. Speaking of the cartoon... I saw what I think is like the best episode ever the other day. Um, Zartan and the Dreadnoughts form a band. <laughs> yeah, I vaguely remember that. And uh, they're they're playing this terrible song and they only have one song and they do a whole concert where they just cut back to them playing that song. But inside of the song is like uh, the Cobra's broke at this point. Yes. So, so they uh, they they orchestrated this whole thing and inside of the song are uh hypnotic lyrics in order to get the listener to do whatever cobra wants it's it's terrible but it's great <laughs> i vaguely remember that that story and that song is super catchy it's cold slither i think that's the name of the episode cold S- slither steve gerber wrote there's no place like springfield okay which that makes sense because it's it's a really well thought out two-parter some stakes and as far as I recall, uh, that's the the season finale of or series or not series, but after that they'd go on to introduce like Sergeant Slaughter and all those other new Serpentor, Serpentor, and the Serpentor five parter was awesome. I don't know that I've ever watched the entire Serpentor five parter. Rise, Serpentor, rise! It's a good one. It's it's like. It's like the classic five-parters where they travel around the world to do stuff Mm -hmm. and constantly lose until they win. Right. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, those good times. One day day I might try to rewatch some of those. I have most of them on DVD, but I I think they're accessible in other places as well. That that one's worth watching, that five-parter at least. I might have to rewatch There's No Place Like Springfield again, though. You should definitely watch Cold Slither. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm familiar because don't they start out? Isn't Cobra Commander and Destro like talking with some guy and they're trying to raise some money? And the guy's like, I will give you the money, but only if I can see your face. And he goes to touch Cobra Commander's mask and he gets like electrocuted or something. Yes. Okay. All, yeah. all of that happens and it is, it is, it has nothing to do with the episode, but it's still great. Yeah. I like that. That particular scene, I was like, well, this is interesting. I, I never knew that they dealt with because Cobra Commander is always. You know, they have to fund their operation somewhere. They've got all these vehicles and weapons and troops. And they're well, at the always... beginning of the episode, G.I. Joe raids one of the Cobra's last stockholds in which they have, like, uh, it's loaded with gold and trinkets mm-hmm. and jewelry and stuff like that. So having run out of that, they have to turn. 
to that guy who is a little person, interestingly enough. Oh, is he? I don't remember that. And I think he he's if, if I recall correctly, his voice is super familiar. Mm. So it's like one of the other actors doing double double time. I hate to say it, but wasn't that meeting? Didn't that take meeting take place at like a circus or something? I don't think it's a circus. It's like it's some seedy club. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have to rewatch that one too because. I mean, a lot of those G.I. Joe shows were, were pretty by the numbers, like very little depth. But every now and then you got one that was like, oh, this is interesting. And, and Cold Slither is only good because of how just stupid it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just like the idea of like this terrorist organization. It's like, we got to raise some money. Let's start a band. Yeah. Yeah. Top of the charts. <laughs> All righty. Well, as far, as far as issues or episodes go... Um, this is what this was whatever a lot of action this was i like how action-packed this was it seems from you don't often see like comic books uh at least you hadn't before kind of comic books as action movies so this is this is something new so it's kind of interesting to kind of i don't know read through and take apart yeah how how they keep the action going like as an action movie i don't think any of this would have worked you would have had to do it very differently. It would have all been done in the editing, whereas in this, it's all done in the dynamic posing. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I, this is a pretty forgettable yeah. part of Wolverine's backstory. Yeah. Well, I think I like my X Men comics to be a um, little bit of little bit of drama, a little bit of action, yeah, a little bit of story. Are you? And this is sort of a related, unrelated question. Are you more of a Star Wars guy or a Star Trek guy? Oh, that's a great question, Adam. Because um, I'm, I'm definitely a Star Trek guy. I mean, <sighs> I like, I mean, I'm an old man, right? So I like the original trilogy. Yep. Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, there's it's, it's hard to compare it because there's so much more Star Trek content um that i'd probably put myself in the star trek camp just because there's so many great stories and uh world building that happen in like next generation there's also some clunkers in that series too but yeah for sure yeah well yeah i mean the obvious question is do you prefer the more brainier kind of uh lower budgeted having to talk through yes moral conundrums talking through problems and then throwing in some science jargon and then maybe shooting a couple of phasers and now the problem's solved. Or do you prefer the big budget kind of action jumping around? Uh, things are driven less by talking and more by actions. Um, spectacle. Well, it also depends on the movie. Like, I really like Die Hard. <laughs> and that's got a bunch of jumping around in action scenes. And yeah. there's, there's, you got to blend it right. And I think... You know, I I think a lot of the Marvel movies do a pretty good job of blending the story, the not necessarily the drama because they're not terribly dramatic, but they do. These characters evolve and and things happen with their families or their relationships between one another, and then there's big action spectacles. So Marvel Studios, for the most part, I haven't seen the last couple of movies, but they seem to have done a good blending of those two things but the other thing that i'll say and again this goes back to maybe 
when was I most impressionable to this sort of stuff? Like I remember a lot of those next generation stories and, and some of those have left an impact of like, what a really cool idea that episode was. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we're how many years into the MCU and I'm like, yeah, I, I can vaguely tell you some things that happened, but no one of those movies outside of maybe the, the no way home movie. Am I like, Oh man, I was blown away. I don't know. Die Hard was part of a generation of movies where I think Die Hard is like the action film that changed action films, but it was still part of things that came before it. It was definitely more action driven, but it still had sort of it still it still has sort of a theme behind it. Whereas I feel like today's action films are less they they have themes, but they're more in your face. They're kind of like. Let's get the theme out of the way. Let's make sure it's really obvious. Yeah. And whereas Die Hard is sort of a subtle uh, kind of story about a man reclaiming his kind of manhood. Well, I mean, he's trying to put his family back together and and then he's got to deal with this situation. Yeah, I don't know. There's 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 things going, but I think it also goes back to I'll I'll just throw the the classic example of Wrath of Khan where they were limited by the budget that they were given. And so they're like, well, we can have a couple of explosions, uh, but we're going to have to fill the other you know, 90 minutes with something. Yeah. And so they came up with kind of a very compelling, dramatic story, and it, it remains one of the best. And I think Die Hard, obviously being many years removed from Wrath of Khan also suffers from like, they got to do practical effects. Now they can do some cool stuff and they can blow things up and they can have helicopter scenes and whatnot, but they can't do that for every scene. Whereas if you look at, I think wasn't the rock in a movie called the skyscraper or something like that. Uh, I didn't watch <laughs> it, but my, my assumption and, and I, you know, maybe I should watch it before I judge, but I'm, I'm just assuming that there's a ton of green screen, a ton of CGI and maybe that, um, real threat of danger slash limitations of what you could actually do um, probably make it a lot less of a probably make it a more forgettable um, endeavor than a a diehard movie or I just have right rose colored glasses and the movie came out at the right time and I like it I don't know there's certainly a nostalgia factor to it but yeah yeah I don't know if I I answered your question I I think I think the uh, budget definitely does take that is a super important part of it for sure. Well, budget and uh, limitations of what you can do. Right. Yeah. And now it's sort of like the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to. It's just, is your audience going to look at that and be like, that doesn't look real and then take you out of the experience. Whereas when you watch Die Hard and you see those, the top of the building exploding and John jumping off, you're like, somebody's doing all of that stuff. Now, yeah. obviously, there's there's wires and nets and all sorts of other safety precautions, and they even talk about in, in Die Hard uh, that that explosion where they're blowing up the top. They're like, "Well, we get one shot at this, and <laughs> we need." They choreographed like the helicopters got to do this, and John's got to do that, and the explosions have to happen this way. Uh, and if any one thing goes wrong, like we can't do it again, uh, and we might hurt somebody, so. There's a lot of, you know, that precision and that timing. Today, you you would just you just render it and be like, oh, that doesn't look good. Move the explosion over there. Okay, that looks way better. Let's do that. Yeah. So, anyways. There's definitely something to be said of, of budget limitations creating creative 
uh, solutions. Well, you have to make it entertaining some way. And so if you can have compelling characters, some character growth, something that you can relate to, maybe an emotional sting, and then have a few laser guns, uh, I think, yeah, you end up creating a much more impactful movie. But I also think from a commercial viability today, I don't, I don't know that you can make something like that. Um, We're in the land of bigger and bigger and bigger spectacles. Right, right especially at the theater. Like, nobody's going to go to the theater to see. And it's unfortunate, but if somebody, like, made Die Hard today, uh, I think people would be like, yeah, streaming's got better effects than this. (laughs) And they'd be right. But anyways. Yeah. So I guess more more story-driven is what I I favor. Okay. So you're a Star Trek guy. I'm a... yeah, I'm a, I'm a Star Trek. I mean, just not to say that you don't like Star Wars. I mean, obviously. I'm not going to argue with somebody about, like, Star Trek's better because it's smarter. Because um, yeah. I do, I've run into people like that that, that like, argue about which is better, Star Trek or Star Wars. I'm like, you oh. can love them both. Yeah, like, I, I'm not going to have that debate. <laughs> there, are, there are very different things at the, at the core of what they are. But, it, you know, it's an interesting argument, I guess. Or it's an interesting topic of conversation. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. We've gone on too long. Yes. Adam, if you wanted to weigh in on any of our conversations or let us know what you think, you could do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, going out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twittering us at Danger Room Go, uh, e- email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, go out to iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts to download them, leave us feedback. All that stuff. And if you enjoyed what you just heard, a little conversation between Adam and Jeremy about Star Wars and Star Trek and G.I. Joe, and oh, we're really one-trick ponies. You can get more of that uh, dialogue, that conversation, uh, at patreon.com forward slash danger room, where we'll shortly be talking about many weeks after they've completed uh, uh, The Mandalorian and Star Trek Picard Season 3. <laughs> but you'll have already heard all that stuff on YouTube, and so we'll probably just be rehashing the same ground. Probably. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And Adam, I, I don't have anything else. Do you? Let us know, dear listener, if you are a Star Trek or Star Wars fan and or possibly a third, uh, you know, other thing. Battlestar Galactica. Logan's Run. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, something that qualifies as a third category that we're overlooking. Um, maybe, maybe you're a robot jocks guy. Sure, why not? Or Star Crash, or... Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah, maybe maybe, all that stuff you guys are talking about is garbage. Let me tell you what's a good movie. Maybe you're an Ingmar Bergman fan. Uh, Or or, um, Flash Gordon. That's your jam. That's where the action and the story is. Yeah. Certainly where the music is. Oh, the savior of the universe. (laughs) Yes, sir. All right, yeah, that's that's all. Okay. Uh, well, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Mm-hmm.